The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Welcome to the show, and I hope all of you had a wonderful holiday. It's always a time to think of the great sacrifices people have made for this country and then to remember how important it is to hire veterans with disabilities. So we're going to be talking to someone in a minute that relates to all of this. I want to tell you about Paul. I met him in Pittsburgh at a prayer breakfast, which is an annual Pittsburgh event. This is where community leaders gather together to talk about prayer, giving back, charity. I mean, it is wonderful. Well, I met him there, and he is an amazing man, a wonderful man. And by the way, he's also a veteran of the Iraq War, so Paul... I want to say first, thank you for serving our country, and welcome to the show. Now, Paul, as a veteran of the Iraq War, have you met many people who returned from that war and are also trying to find employment? Well, yes, ma'am. Actually, I have. You know, this, this conflict has gone on for quite a while, and it's been very interesting to see, you know, over the past 10 years how we have responded as a society, you know, in addressing veterans when they're returning and the various issues surrounding them. I can say that uh, from, the, from the very beginning, I think some of the challenges that veterans have faced in the early years coming home, I think that it's been inspiring to see how people in our community have worked to help veterans overcome those challenges, certainly employment being one of them. I think also post-traumatic stress disorder being another issue confronting many veterans upon their returns. And so I've had an opportunity to see many veterans uh, come home and, and work through various issues from unemployment to PTSD. And it has been very wonderful. I think the most exciting thing is to see a veteran succeed after they have gone through, you know, this traumatic experience in their life. And, and I've, seen a, I've seen that a few times over. And that is a very, very heartwarming story, you know, and it's certainly one to cherish. Well, I'll tell you what, Paul, that, that Americans, veterans with disability, come back from the Iraq War and then cannot gain employment is shameful. Here yes. are people such as yourself willing to go to fight for all of us and give up your life for all of us. We don't even know you. And then when you come back, we can't hire you. So just listen to me, everyone on the air right now. Veterans with disabilities, you have no excuse to not find employment. None. Zero. So I hope that you will take this seriously 
as seriously as those men, men and women did. Uh, and, Paul, I'm sure that being in Iraq did change your entire perspective on life. Uh, how did it do that? Well, you know, that's, that's a very profound question. It, mo- it most certainly did. I think it's very important for those of us who have not been to war to understand that war changes a person in, in very profound and immense ways. You know, I, I, I can tell you that I, I often reflect on, you know, the young man that I was before I left. And I remember when I, when I had first come home, I ran into this woman who worked in this cafeteria at my old university, and she had said to me that I seemed so very different than I had been before I had left. You know, I often remember those words in that conversation, and, uh, you know, and I think whenever... Um, you know, whenever someone goes through that experience, that um, it, it sort of it, it certainly tests a person, it shakes a person at their core, but then it presents new opportunities for a person to grow. You know, with a perspective that a lot of people may not necessarily appreciate. I think that uh, for one, I have had the opportunity to reflect on the value of life. And, and, and certainly, uh, human life is valuable in life in, in the society that we have that we have that we have built, and, the, and that the duty that we have right now. You know, when I came home, I understood that there was a greater duty to preserve the society and to continue to build the society that we are blessed to live in. You know, because traveling overseas and, and seeing so many traumatic events, you know, it really brought it really brought to mind. You know, I, I think you get a better perspective of your own home, truthfully. You get a better perspective of your own home when you travel overseas and see what a world at war looks like. You know, and it's, and it's one of the reasons why when I came home from the military, I really, uh, I, I really renewed my commitment to my own community back home. You know, and I wanted to dedicate my life to helping those underserved persons here in our own community because I, I recognize that, that what we have here in the United States is so very precious. You know, to, to be able to wake up and, and, and not fear sectarian violence, you know, not, not fear a militia coming through and, and wiping out an entire street, having to not fear, you know, car bombs going off at every corner. You know, it's, it's something quite, quite special. You know, and we shouldn't take it for granted here in the United States. And, be, and because we have these freedoms, we have the opportunity to really help one another. We have an opportunity to create bright futures for one another. You know, and if we all renew that commitment each day we get up, you know, our, our, our nation will be better and stronger each, each and every month, each and every year, each and every day. You know, and that's the blessing, really, that comes from all of it. Wow. Wish we had more people to think like you, Paul. We, we would have a better world, that's for sure. Yes, well, ma'am. as you know, I believe in giving back. I'm all about people that give back, um, and I know you are the same. So for our listeners across the country, how about if you first tell our listeners how you came, became involved in Focus Pittsburgh? Well, when I, when I had come home from the Army, I went back to graduate school at the University of Pittsburgh, and I got my master's in public and international affairs. And I had been, uh, for, for the reasons I had mentioned, I had been very interested in, 
and you know doing some work to uh, to help you know our underserved communities in the United States. But it, it was right around that time that I had a I had a, I felt a certain calling in my life, you know, to to go and and uh, and serve the Lord. And so I I went to seminary at St. Tikon's Theological uh, Orthodox Theological Seminary in South Canaan, Pennsylvania. And I got my Master's of Divinity there. But right when I was graduating, I learned that there was a group of Orthodox Christians in the Pittsburgh area who were talking about doing something, doing some kind of outreach ministry in Pittsburgh to try to help folks living in our underserved communities, to help to help generate revitalization and sort of offer people the opportunities for renewal and life and all of those sorts of things. It was right at that time that my bishop recommended that I join the conversation. And those folks were having a conversation with uh, Focus North America, which is a national organization of Orthodox Christians. It stands for Fellowship of Orthodox Christians United to Serve. It also stands for Food, Occupation, Clothing, understanding, and shelter. So when I joined this conversation that was back in 2010, out of this conversation came this idea of Focus Pittsburgh that was born on January the 1st, 2011. And since that time, we have established a very strong presence in the Hill District, which is uh, one of our underserved communities here in Pittsburgh. And we have grown into a very large ministry that offers everything from employment assistance to basic needs provision. So we, we have an emergency food pantry, we have a clothing pantry, families that need furniture, we help them get furniture. We, we currently have a backpack feeding program where we feed 197 children every weekend, giving them food to take home because they're not eating in, in school on the weekend, five meals and snacks to take home over the weekend. We have employment counseling, a professional development academy to help prepare people for work. We have uh, we have uh, NAAA meetings, and we do in partnership with Pennsylvania State Parole Board. We have violence prevention here that we do with uh, those folks who have criminal records. And soon, by the end of the year, we'll launch a, a free health center that will provide free health care, behavioral health care, and primary health care for those folks that do not have insurance. And so we, we've been very busy, and it's very exciting to see a lot of people in the community uh, step forward and, and really take strong initiative in playing a very crucial part in the success of this ministry. And that's been very in inspiring because there's a lot of people, you know, Joyce, as you know, there's a lot of people who, who a lot of other people give up on too easy. You know, they give up on or they may not give them a chance because they – they, they view them as being disabled, or they view them as not being able to accomplish things. But, but when we give them the opportunity, it's, it's amazing to see how they flourish, you know, with the right support in the right direction. And that's been the most inspiring part of this whole story, and, uh, and that's something that I'm blessed to be able to see each and every day. Well, <clears throat> isn't that what it's all about? It is what it should be all about, but I don't know why... People are able to walk past people who are homeless or prisons and not see it, as they do not see people with disabilities who are left out and unemployed. But then there's light. There's always people like you 
and focus that bring light to those left out. And, you know, I'm a big believer that just a few people can create change. So I'm glad you got involved. Um, when you were talking about Focus Pittsburgh in the Hill District, what are the main areas you work on in the Hill? Well, you know, <clears throat> do you mean in terms of, of the issues facing the people yes. here? Yes. Yes, that's correct. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, what uh, I mean you know, is, in, is the, in the Hill employment? District, you know, it's, it's a predominantly African American uh, underserved community in the city of Pittsburgh, and you know, there's 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 challenges that um, that people here in this community, as in other underserved communities, not only in Pittsburgh but across the United States, face, which include. You know, extremely, extremely, uh, there, there's high levels of unemployment, you know, for one. Uh, two, and probably the most detrimental is, is that, that poverty here is characterized by, by profound brokenness. You know, and, and I think this is, what, this is what distinguishes American poverty from poverty in the third world, you know. Uh, when, I was, when I was in the Army, I had a chance to see you know, what poverty in the third world looked like. And, you know, I, we, I had always imagined that poverty in the third world was much worse, you know, than poverty here. But what I was really amazed to see is, is that uh, overseas people were poor, but they were poor in community. They were poor as families. You know, there weren't poor individuals as much as there were poor families. You know, and that, and that circle of family support and community support I think does a lot to help people get through the struggles, you know, whether it be whether it be mental illness, whether it be disabilities, whether it be poverty in general. That support is so very important, you know, because we cannot do it alone, none of us. And so, one, the greatest challenge I think that that we have to to work to overcome the greatest obstacle is that brokenness, you know, because uh, here. You know, in impoverished community here, there are so many people who suffer from radical isolation. You know, and I, I think that's what characterizes American poverty, radical isolation. You know, and, and people really believe that with, with, their, um, with their poverty, with their, with their disabilities, with their illness, that they truly are in this all alone. And a lot of times people have experiences of betrayal. You know, their, their trust has been violated many times over, you know, they've been misled, you know, and all of these things, this is, this is the hardest thing to overcome. And so what we're really trying to do is to, uh, is, is to really restore, uh, restore uh, people in the context of community so that people begin to understand that they, they can have a healthy, that they can have healthy relationships with other people. And not only that they can have healthy relationships with other people, but that they should and need to have healthy relationships with other people. So everything that we do from, from the clothing, you know, to the employment is really in the context of relationships. And the most amazing thing that we've been able to see is how one can of food can lead to uh, a transformed life if we use that can of food as a relationship-building opportunity. And that's what we understand here that every can of food, every article of clothing, every piece of furniture is, is first and foremost a relationship-building opportunity. 
and people begin to see that we're not giving because we want something out of them. We're not, we're not giving to trick them or deceive them, but we're, we're giving, if we give with a sincere heart, people recognize that and it transforms their perspective on relationships and, and they engage the ministry, they engage the programs and they begin to take initiative and, and they begin to be the light to other people who have given up a long time ago. You know, and so, so we, you know, that brokenness is, 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 I think, the greatest challenge that we work to overcome. But we do that, you know, by, by lovingly, lovingly building relationships with each other every opportunity we get. And with that, we're going to get ready to go to break. You can see why I love this man this much. If you just joined, we're talking to Paul Abernathy, Director of Focus Pittsburgh. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Paul. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Each week, Jimmy Gould brings you the stories and the people that you want to hear about. Tune in to A Current Life to hear about the journey to success, how our guests became the people they are today, and the highs and lows they experienced along the way. Each hour will leave you inspired and entertained as Jimmy gets up close and personal with every week's guest and shares ideas you can identify with and apply to your own life. A Current Life with Jimmy Gould airs Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Hi, I'm Greg Grunberg from the TV show Heroes. One of my personal heroes is my son, who, like more than 3 million Americans, has epilepsy. When someone with epilepsy is having a seizure, their brain is temporarily producing more electricity than their body can handle. They can shake or stare or fall down. They can also even briefly lose consciousness. If you see someone having a seizure, please make sure they're comfortable and safe. And within a few minutes or less, the electrical overload will stop and they will be okay. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org. Thank you. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. Hey, welcome back to the show if you just joined us. We've been talking to Paul Abernathy, the director of Focus Pittsburgh, an unbelievably great organization that is all about giving back to the community. And before I ask you uh, the next question, uh, Paul, we always allow people to either tweet me directly or email me with questions for the show. So here's a question for you from Cindy in Ohio. And the question is, Paul, I think it's wonderful what you're doing. Um, here's my question. How do you keep going and not become discouraged when you don't see change? Oh, that is, that is a phenomenal question. You know, it's very interesting because in the field of social work, 
there's actually a term for this. It's called compassion fatigue. You know, in, in other words, not being able to, to do our job properly to, to help people, especially those folks that uh, really don't, you know, don't seem to, to, to be changing. You know, for me, it's very important to understand. It's, it's really the perspective that I have. You know, I think that for me, my faith plays a very, very important role in this. And sometimes we go in this to uh, save other people. And I know that's, that's a very, very common perspective. I think starting out, it's probably the perspective that I had, you know, some time ago. Uh, however, I have learned, I have learned that, uh, that I'm not going through this to save other people. I'm going through this to save myself. In other words, I'm doing this for my salvation. And one of the things that I have to, to that I have learned is, is that the, the people, you know, whenever we help people that, that, that don't seem to be changing, or sometimes we help people that are not grateful, it's very good. It's very good for us. It's good for our humility. It's good for our salvation. It's good to help us refocus ourselves on the mission so that it's not about us. You know, it's not, in other words, it's not about us feeling good, but it's about the dedication and the duty to do this work no matter what. You know, to love people unconditionally. It's something that we have to struggle for. But, but, if, we, but if we understand that each time we help somebody that, you know, doesn't seem to be changing, that we, this is an opportunity for us to really perfect you know, our own virtue, our own goodness, our own commitment to the mission and to, and to focus on our own salvation, you know, and really pray for strength and, and you know, pray for, pray for wisdom and, and pray for the ability to, to, to go on. You know, those things are, you know, those things are very important. But the other side of that is we never know, we never know what seeds we plant. It's, it's, it's one of the things that I have learned uh, to, to, to understand more than anything else is that we never know what seeds may plant. You know, the human person is a mystery. The human persons are dynamic. We're changing. We're always... And when I reflect on my own life, I often see how some of the seeds that were planted when I was very young didn't really blossom until years later. And, it, and it's not until I was an entirely different stage in my life that I understood how significant a moment a long time ago was. You know, and so it's important to understand that helping people, it, it goes really beyond days and months. It really goes into years. And we, and, and we understand that we uh, may be planting seeds in people that we may not even uh, have, the, have, the, have the fortune to see blossom. But that, too, is also good for us because, you know, sometimes if, if, we, if we saw every success that we played a role in, you know, we might, we might begin to think too much of ourselves. And, again, in this line of work, humility is so very, very important because that, that humility also helps us understand that, you know, there's not a great difference between us and someone who's standing before us to help. You know, that, that really if we don't maintain the right focus, the right dedication, the right commitment, the right perspective on life, that we too can make 
bad choices. And so it's a constant reminder, you know, that we have to we have to remain completely dedicated to to our virtue, to perfecting it, to sustaining it, to uh, you know, to living it. Because once we we lose that commitment, you know, we we can fall too. And that's why we have to keep that humility. And sometimes those people who we don't have an opportunity to see uh, blossom, that that is our opportunity to refocus ourselves, you know, on on our own goodness, on our own virtue, on our own salvation. Yes, and you know what? That's really what keeps you going. That, That is really what it is. That's what keeps you going, but it is so rewarding. It really is. It is so rewarding to give and to see change, no matter how small it is. You know, I always like that saying, um, although you can't change the world to one person, you may be the world. Yes. And if you think like that, if you can think like that, that's what makes you keep on going. That's right. Well, we're going to get ready in a minute here to go to break. But I just want to, again, tell you the name of this organization is Focus Pittsburgh, F-O-C-U-S, Focus Pittsburgh, and we are talking to the director, uh, Paul Abernathy, and it is all about giving back, changing lives, making a difference one by one, one person. It makes a difference. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Paul. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Hi, I'm Greg Grunberg from the TV show Heroes. One of my personal heroes is my son, who, like more than 3 million Americans, has epilepsy. When someone with epilepsy is having a seizure, their brain is temporarily producing more electricity than their body can handle. They can shake or stare or fall down. They can also even briefly lose consciousness. If you see someone having a seizure, please make sure they're comfortable and safe. And within a few minutes or less, the electrical overload will stop and they will be okay. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org. Thank you. We all face some economic uncertainty in our life. What makes the difference is how we take command of that and survive. Tune in to Strategies for Financial Survival with host Michael Figueroa. Michael has been up and down the road to success several times, and along with his guests, will share the skills of survival. By assessing your strengths and skills and applying them to your future, you can make it through tough times, regardless of your field. Listen every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joy Spender. Hey, welcome back, and we're talking about a great organization in Pittsburgh, Focus Pittsburgh, with the director, Paul Abernathy, a great young man. 
Uh, Paul, I was going to ask you this later on, but I want to ask you now to make sure everyone gets to hear when we talk about this. If someone is listening to the show and they're trying to think, what can we do to support Paul and support Focus, what can they do? You know, it's, it's interesting because we've accomplished the, the, the goals that we have accomplished. We've, we've accomplished in large part by volunteer support. And one of the things that we've learned is, is that if we give people the opportunity to use their talents to volunteer, they accomplish great, great things. You know, we have, so for example, the, uh, the employment counseling that is being done, that's being done by volunteers, Pam Turner. You know, she, she's a, she has a background in this, and she comes and she volunteers twice a week, and she helps people write resumes and, and fill out applications online and talks through, you know, what their goals are. We have a, another man uh, who, who works for Google who's, who's interested in computers, and he teaches a computer class here for those people that have no background in computers, James Powell. And he, he teaches one computer class each week, every Monday evening, we have others who who volunteered as uh, as physicians and and nurses and pharmacists who volunteered as business consultants who volunteered just to serve food to fold clothing and so volunteers is always a very important part. Financial support is always important because the, a lot of the things that we do obviously have a cost. We have to purchase all of the food that we give to those to the children that we feed every weekend. Um, costs us thousands of dollars every year. And when someone gets a job, we, uh, we get them a bus pass until their first bus, uh, until their first paycheck comes in. When people have interviews, they get bus tickets. When a lot of our senior citizens cannot get to doctor's appointments, so we give them bus tickets as well. We um, help people get state IDs and, and birth certificates so that they can uh, you know, you can't even get it. You can't get a job. You can't get into housing unless you have IDs or birth certificates. There's costs involved in all of that. So, you know, uh, financial support is very, very important because, you know, I, I like to tell people that, you know, $25 can transform a life. You know, we, we can feed a child in the backpack feeding program for, uh, for one month on $25. $25 will get two IDs for two people that need IDs. You know, $25 will get a bus pass so somebody will get to work. You know, these things, we never think, you know, can $25 really change a life? It, it certainly can change a life. So, so even for those of us who don't have, who have modest means, you know, uh, $25, even $25 can go a very long way. Yeah, see, you know, people don't realize that. Because sometimes a young person or someone without will say, I only have this much to donate. But I always tell people, of course, every organization wishes you would donate, you know, $100,000. But even yeah. $10, $5, right. everything makes a difference. Now, if someone wanted to donate to Focus, what would they do? You can, you can go online, uh, www.focuspittsburgh.org, and you can donate online. You can also go through uh, focusnorthamerica.org and, and uh, donate specifically to Pittsburgh, um, and, and that would be good. You can also make checks payable to Focus Pittsburgh and mail them to 2228. Center, C-E-N-T-R-E Avenue, Pittsburgh, PA, 15219. 15219. 
All right. Well, if you're listening to the show, remember anything you give will make a difference. So I hope you will give something because there are so many people living in poverty right here in Pittsburgh. And by the way, I love that example that Paul gave that, of course, you know, I realize, we all realize poverty in Africa. People are dying of hunger. People are dying from poor nutrition or for drinking water uh, that, that is contaminated. And it's horrible. People live on just meager, you know, food, whatever. But you know what? They do do that together. That's an interesting point you made versus isolation in poverty in the United States. Because I've met other groups of people, and they'll all band together, you know, to help support the family. And sadly, that doesn't always occur right here in Pittsburgh. But, Paul, in Pittsburgh, what percentage of people would you say are living in poverty? Well, uh, I believe it is according to the 2009 census. There's 28.1% of people below below federal poverty guidelines living living here in Pittsburgh. Um, one of the other challenges, it's interesting because just like any other city, a lot of that poverty is segregated according to neighborhoods. You know, Pittsburgh is also, um, re- really unexpectedly, Pittsburgh is also one of the uh, 21 most segregated cities in the United States. So there's a strong correlation here in our region between uh, poverty and communities that are predominantly African-American. So, um, so about about twenty eight twenty eight percent of people in our city live below the federal poverty, which is pretty high. That's terrible. That is absolutely terrible. I mean, to me, that's high. It is high. That is high. That's interesting. That other point that you made. You know, that reminds me of uh, the situation that some cities that are in desperate desperate needs, such as Detroit, um, how that segregation occurred. Even in schools, it's amazing. You know how people left and went out to the rural areas, I mean the suburban areas, and left uh, groups behind that are more disadvantaged, and in this case happen to be minorities. Mm -hmm. So that's very interesting what you said. so, So what do you do to help these people, Paul? Well, you know, I, I think one of the greatest, one of the most important things that that we really that we really try to do is is we really try to build bridges, you know, uh, across across lines that are you know that that are drawn in our region that that people very often do not cross. You know, I think one of the things that's really interesting about about Pittsburgh is this, that if you look at you know uh, federal poverty, we do have a lot of people living below federal poverty, and yet Pittsburgh is one of three cities in the United States that is officially out of the economic recession. And so a lot of people who are living uh, in underserved communities in Pittsburgh will maintain that there are really two Pittsburghs. There's a Pittsburgh that's going through a renaissance right now that's, that's tapping into, you know, this, this, re, this the city that has redefined itself into, uh, for Eds and Meds, they say, you know, for, uh, you know, UPMC and a lot of the leading research, medical research in the world is done here, the medical technology that's developed that's done here, the, the health care um, system here is, is phenomenal. It's one of the top ten in the United States. 
And then we have, on the other side of it, we have a lot of investment coming to Pittsburgh. You know, we have, uh, obviously, there's a lot of movies being made in Pittsburgh. You know, and, and there's a lot of uh, development in town. And so th- there's really exciting time for Pittsburgh, except that we have to also understand that a lot of this this uh, renaissance, a lot of the redevelopment, when Pittsburgh, when we have redefined ourselves successfully, you know, we run a major risk in doing that without ever considering those folks that are living in poverty or making sure that we in some way connect all of the good things coming to our city to those folks that that haven't traditionally had access to them. So I think one of the most important things that we do is to build those bridges. And again, it's really by personal relationships. We have a women's group here that has started out uh, some time ago by the women in the community that, that they really wanted to focus on the issues that, that many, many women uh, in our underserved communities have experienced. You know, everything from, um, you know, abuse to um, drug addiction to, uh, to sons that are incarcerated and all of these things that are, that are really, really heavy, heavy for these women to deal with. You know, they started with this women's group that they call the St. Mary of Egypt Women's Group that meets every Tuesday night at Focus Pittsburgh. One of the things that, that I've been so uh, amazed at is, is that there's a number of women, you know, who have not come from the Hill District or underserved communities, but actually come from Mount Lebanon or Upper St. Clair, you know, who mm, would be considered uh, affluent, who come from what might be considered affluent families, who have actually come and participated in the group as, uh, in, you know, interacting with each other as peer-to-peer, you know, bringing their own brokenness to the table, you know, and, and commiserating with, with ladies who live in underserved communities. And I've learned that, you know, that woman's group that meets here every Tuesday is a real shining example of the things that we're working to do, the things that we really have to do, of building these relationships across lines that we don't normally cross so that a woman from the Hill District you know, which is an underserved community, and a woman from Mount Lebanon, which is an affluent community, can come together, you know, really as, as, as equal women, you know, sharing with, a, with an equal exchange of ideas, you know, with, with uh, you know, discussing the issues, not only in their personal lives, but the issues confronting uh, our region, you know, understanding that we cannot improve as a city unless we, each of us, each community, each each. Uh, each part of our demographic participates equally and shares, you know, what we honestly know to be or what we have come to believe to be the the right way forward. And so one of the things that we really tried to do is is to build those bridges so that that people who are uh, business consultants and doctors and lawyers can come together with people who are recovering addicts and people who were incarcerated and people who were abused, and they can all come together at one table and, and really find out what it means to be one, to be one community, to be one city, and, and to understand that no matter how rich or no matter how poor, no matter how much education and no matter how little education we have, that we cannot become a better city unless we do it together. And we're always working to provide opportunities to do that. And, and you know, we have so many examples, and, and it's truly, truly so inspiring to see. It is. That is awesome. I, I just love hearing you talk about all this. You're, you're like a philosopher in Pittsburgh, Paul. Oh. You are. Well. Okay, so Cindy in Kansas. 
Um, Paul, my question for you is, what do you believe when you were growing up gave you this passion? You know, I, when I was growing up, I had a, uh, I had a family of people who were really committed to uh, serving the community. We were uh, a deeply, um, a very devout Christian family, and uh, my, my grandfather, you know, he, he was a, a he, he is, he's a World War II veteran. He, he was the commander of the VFW in my town. He was a, he's been a member of the volunteer fire department. Uh, my mother's a social worker. My grandmother is a nurse. I have two aunts. One is a teacher. The other one's a nurse. And, you know, they were all so committed to serving our community, you know, and really raised me with the understanding that, that we should live our lives to serve one another. And certainly this was for us, for our family, an expression of our faith. You know, for us it was always connected to our faith. We, we couldn't believe it unless we lived it. You know, and I was raised to believe that. And, you know, when I look back on it, I, I cannot underestimate the value that uh, the, the people in my family, my mother, you know, uh, most especially, uh, but all of my family, that, that they were, that they, they personified service for me. You know, for me it wasn't so much an idea as an example that I was really raised to follow. And, you know, they made sure that, that every opportunity to serve that I was really engaged at, and, and not only the, what, what I was engaged in the service, you know, they, they explained to me always, not only that, you know, what I did was nice or, or, or you know, that what I did was, uh, was necessary or, you know, that this is something that I had to do to fulfill some sort of obligation, but they always understood that, what that, that that service, no matter what it was, you know, whether it was with the Boy Scouts or, uh, you know, I remember when I was 16 years old, my grandfather came home and he told my cousin and I, both of us just turned 16, that we we had joined the volunteer fire department, uh, you, you know, because it, again, it, it it was all about duty, you know, that this is our duty, this this is what we do. We are Christians. And what we do is we serve our community. And so it, it, my family really personified that ideal for me, and, uh, and, and I just am so blessed to have had uh, the upbringing that I did. It makes a difference, I'll tell you that. Mm-hmm. It really does make a difference. <clears throat> well, we're going to get ready to go to break. If you just joined us, we are talking to Paul Abernathy, the director of Focus Pittsburgh, a group that's all about giving back to the community and help those that are frequently left out. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. We'll be back to close the show. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Hi, I'm Greg Grunberg from the TV show Heroes. One of my personal heroes is my son, who, like more than 3 million Americans, has epilepsy. When someone with epilepsy is having a seizure, their brain is temporarily producing more electricity than their body can handle. They can shake or stare or fall down. They can also even briefly lose consciousness. If you see someone having a seizure, please make sure they're comfortable and safe. And within a few minutes or less, the electrical overload will stop and they will be okay. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org. Thank you. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. Welcome back. You know what? If you missed this show, you can go back and hear it again because, as you know, we archive all these shows at BenderConsult.com and VoiceAmerica.com. But you can go to BenderConsult.com, go to radio, and see all those shows, hear them over the past 12 years. And don't forget, we open caption for all of our friends in the deaf community. Well, Paul, I have so much enjoyed having you on the show, and I hope everyone here in Pittsburgh really, really uh, contributes and gets involved with Focus Pittsburgh. But you obviously have a person that has impacted you to an incredible degree. I mean, I know your entire family has, but there had to be this one person that really had an impact on you. So tell us, who was your role model? You know, truth, truthfully, my, my role model uh, it was, was my mother. You know, it's, it's interesting to see that I, I never, obviously growing up, I never would have, uh, you know, I, I never would have known that. But, you know, my mother, she, uh, she is a social worker, and she, um, she's a geriatric social worker, and, and for a long time she worked with hospice, you know, actually being with people when they were at the very final stages of their life. And, you know, one of the things that I really had the, the blessing to, to see, to really witness with my own eyes, is, is how compassionate, you know, my, my mother was when she was working with people who were at the very final stages of their life. The one thing I learned, um, you know, from her is, is that it didn't matter, you know, what kind of life, the, the person led, you know, it didn't matter if they were, uh, you know, if they were the proverbial saint or sinner. I mean, each person, you know, she made sure that they were treated with the same amount of dignity. She recognized their humanity in, in each person, you know, and she really, she really lived her life uh, to serve them, you know, and, and to make and to make their journey to the next life as comfortable and, and peaceful as, as possible. And I always noticed that she did little things, you know, she did little things that, that, were, that went, uh, you know, above and beyond, you know, the call of duty. You know, she understood that certain people might like certain things. And, you know, if somebody liked, uh, you know, a bag of potato chips or, or you know, a, a thing of M&Ms, you know, she would always make sure that, you know, they, that they had those, those little things. It certainly wasn't, wasn't part of her job, but she took the initiative to make sure that those little things, uh, that, 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 that were an expression of, of, you know, her love for them. You know, and, um, you know, and also she taught me that it is the little things that we do that mean the most. 
you know that that a bag of uh, sour cream and onion potato chips can bring a person to tears because it's it's about more than that bag of potato chips. It's like I said, it's an expression of of her love for them. You know, when she taught me all of these these things, the way that she sacrificed for me and she sacrificed for my sister because I, I come from a broken home. You know, she was a single mother. She's a social worker, not not making a lot of money. She sacrificed for me and my sister, and she she taught us how valuable uh, we were to one another. You know, and even to this day, she's what, what really makes her the most happy is is the, the the bond that my sister and I have between one another. That's that's something that she's she's uh, she's very concerned with. You know, to make sure that we understand that how how we have to be there for one another. You know, those things matter. So you know, she's really been been quite an example for me, and and of course, most of all, her faith. You know, being with people at the very end stages of their life, day in and day out, you know, coming, you know, having to be a single mother raising two children, uh, you know, not not making a lot of money, all, all of these things, and still still maintaining her faith strongly, not, not wavering at all and teaching us the value of faith. You know, that, that it's just been, uh, it's just impacted me deeply in, in the man that I have, that I have grown to be. Wow, what a, that is a great compliment to your mother, and she obviously did a great job. <laughs> well, thank God. Yes, I, and by the way, I have great admiration for anyone uh, in hospice because I just went through that with my mother, oh. and these I, I called this one woman an angel. Yes. I'm telling you, that takes incredible love and compassion. So just knowing that about your mother, I like her not even knowing her because I know what that takes and I know what people are like to do this. Right. Well, Paul, you have already accomplished so much in your life. And just so you know, I've asked these last two questions to every person that's been on the show for the past 12 years. So my question is, what would you consider your greatest accomplishment? You know, it's, uh, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily, uh, it, it may or may not be an accomplishment, but, I, but I'll tell you how, exactly how I'd answer it is, uh, you know, last, last year, um, the, the, the people here in, in the community here in the Hill District who are, who are the most involved, they, they told me that they wanted to um, celebrate uh, Saints Peter and Paul Day, which for us is uh, June the 29th. And June the 29th also happens to be my birthday. My mother said she didn't know that it was St. Peter and Paul Day when she named me Paul. But, um, but you know, maybe we chalked it up to God's providence. But they said they wanted to have a picnic for St. Peter and Paul Day. And uh, they did all of the planning. When the morning of June the 29th came, I was very amazed to see all of the work that they had put into this. They had actually raised... $1,800 here. I, I didn't raise one penny. I didn't know that they raised this money. They raised $1,800 to put on this picnic. They had a large bouncy house for the kids. They had people coming, not only from this community, but from other communities. And at one point, I have a very good friend who is a, who is a reverend with the Church of God in Christ who actually, actually pulled me away from this picnic. You know, I didn't want to leave. You know, I pulled, uh, he pulled me away from this picnic and uh, and he said he, he he had to do this. He had to take me to another man's house. We had to have fruit together or something. 
and, uh, and uh, everybody was convincing me that I should leave this picnic just for a moment. So, so I reluctantly went, went over to this gentleman's house here in the hill. We, we had fruit together. We were only gone for half an hour, and then he said, all right, it's time to go back to the picnic. Much to my surprise, when I returned to the picnic, there was a whole host of people who had uh, set up this surprise birthday party for me. And th when I stepped out, uh, they, they all said surprise. Uh, they had called my family. They had brought my family into this. And, and they, they began to give me gifts and cards, you know, and, 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 uh, and said in so many words that they just wanted to, to share the love that they felt I had shared with them. And, you know, it had taken me by surprise. I did not even know that they knew it was my birthday. Uh, the whole time I thought they were doing this because it was St. Peter and Paul Day. But uh, that to me was, um, you know, it, it, because just as, just as uh, you know, that earlier question was, you know, we never know what kind of uh, impact we make. We never know uh, how people really see the things that we do. But that day was a day that, that I understood that we were really doing something really important, that we were really doing something quite profound, that we had, that we had made an impact, you know, in this underserved community, that, that people whose lives had previously been characterized by brokenness had now taken the initiative to express their love. And, well, I'll tell you, know, you what, really that was a, a great tribute that, to you. That, picnic, that I, really I was a great tribute to you. Paul, be Paul before we close than, the show... Uh, what, what I received that day from the people in this community, you know, who have been impacted by this ministry. So I, I think that would probably be it. Paul, it has been so awesome having you on the show, but I have one last question to ask you. If you had to leave a message for our listeners today, what would it be? No matter how dark, no matter how dark or desperate a situation may seem, no matter how difficult circumstances may seem, you know, the brighter days are always ahead. We, we must never lose faith. We must never waver on our commitment to do good. You know, if, if we really maintain our commitment to do good, if we, if we dedicate ourselves to the right struggle, if we, if we, if we continue and never, and never accept defeat, if we continue to, to do what we really honestly, truly know and believe we are called to do, brighter days will be ahead. That when we take the right steps, we do the right things, we will make the right impact, and there is great blessing in that, and we will, we will have the opportunity to celebrate that. That is so true. Hey, Paul, we end every show with a quote from someone that has impacted lives throughout the world. And boy, does this fit. If you can't feed a hundred people, then feed just one, said Mother Teresa. Beautiful. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Talk to you next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 